If this is your first Sunday with us uh, at City Church, we've been in, in kind of an unusual sermon series called Looking Back and Looking Ahead. And today is the last day of that series. Two weeks ago, we looked backwards at all of the ways that God has intervened to get us to this place in our history as a church. Last week, uh, we considered some of our uh, present strengths and weaknesses. And today, we're going to look into the future as best we can. We're going to talk about some of the things that we're going to emphasize in 2017. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. I'm going to meet you there in just a moment. I'm going to use this passage to talk about uh, what we're going to emphasize in 2017 here at City Church. Uh, And I said, um, as I said, I'll meet you there in a moment. About two years ago, Google released a database of just over 5 million books that were published between the years 1500 and 2008. And you can type a, a search word into the database and you can find out how frequently different words were used at different times in history. And it can yield some very fascinating results. For instance, I did a search. We're going to put it up here on the screen for you. I did a search on the word dude. And here's the frequency of the word between 1500 and 2008. And you can see that down here at 1500 wasn't used very much. But then like in the 1600s, they were really hip people. They used the word, in fact, more than we use the word. You go down here all the way to the end. They even use the word more than, than we use the word today. So besides the word dude, you can do things that are actually more important than just tracking something like that. Um, A study by three researchers found that between 1960 and 2008, individualistic words and phrases uh, began to increasingly overshadow communal words and phrases. That is to say that over uh, 48 years, words and phrases like personalized, self, I come first, and I can do it myself, those kinds of words were used more frequently. And then words like community, collective, tribe, share, and common good, those kinds of words receded in usage over that period of time. In other words, we have become more individualistic over that period of time. Now, another study found that over the same period of time, moral words like uh, virtue and conscience and honesty and patience and humility, modesty, bravery, those kinds of words, all of those kinds of words were used 74% less less frequently as the years progressed. So a columnist uh, by the name of David Brooks, he's a columnist from the New York Times, he put all of this together in a column that he wrote on the subject, and he makes this point. He says, over the past half century, society has become more individualistic. As it has done so, it has also become less morally aware because social and moral fabrics are inextricably linked. The atomization and demoralization of society has led to certain forms of social breakdown. In other words, what he's saying is that individualism brings demoralization, which brings societal disintegration. 
Now, as bright as David Brooks is, this really isn't new news. God has always known this. He has been teaching this. He's been speaking about this from the moment that the Bible, uh, from the moment that he, uh, that Moses wrote in the Old Testament about humanity and God's purpose for humanity. I want to show you that in this particular passage in Isaiah, that God is saying exactly what David Brooks was saying. And I want to read from verse 1. Let's just read from verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Now, as I've said throughout this series, it's sort of unusual in the sense that I'm not going to be able to go into as much detail about this particular passage as I otherwise might. But I do want to make a few important points about this passage. First, Isaiah is telling us that God created Israel to be a community of people who live together in perfect unity. That was, that was God's, that's why he created Israel, to be a community of people who live together in perfect unity. Now you ask, well, where do you get that in this passage? Well, when Isaiah mentions words like justice, when he talks about doing what is right in verse 1, when he talks about keeping the Sabbath in verse 2, when he talks about foreigners in verse 3, he's reminding Israel of the law. He's reminding it of the moral law that he gave Moses on the mountain. Israel was to be a theocracy meaning that God was to rule over them. God brought the people who would become the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and then he gives them the Mosaic law, and listen to this, here's why he gives it to them. To teach them how to live as a collective group of people. In other words, how to live together as a nation. How to live together in relationship to one another. And that, of course, began with making him the center of their nation. And so God gave a whole set of sacrificial rules, how to worship him. Because if you make him the center of the nation, if that's what happens, then you can live together as a nation. He gives them the law for this purpose. Okay? So now listen to me on this. The purpose of the Mosaic law wasn't just to teach them how to live as individuals. It was about teaching them how to live together in community. Now think about it. Isaiah speaks about justice here. Well, what is ju- justice? Is how you treat another person. You can't do justice in isolation. Justice is how you treat another person. Likewise, who would you give false testimony about if there weren't people around you? Okay. So Isaiah is reminding Israel here that the the reason God gave them the law was to make them into a community of holy people. Now, I realize that this this whole idea of, of making people into a community isn't appealing to Americans because we prize our individuality. 
I don't know if you've seen it or not, but um, uh, one man's obituary went viral recently. The guy's name was Chuck Connors. He died recently. His family wrote an unusual obituary that just, uh, it just, it just took off. And people all over America have been praising and celebrating how this man lived. And I want you to listen to part of what the family wrote about him. They said, the way he died is just like he lived. He wrote his own rules, he fought authority, and he paved his own way. And if you said he couldn't do it, he would make sure that he could. Now, do you hear it? Can you hear it? That is pure, that's pure Americana right there. Uh, he paved his own way. He wrote his own rules. Can you hear the individualism there? But this wasn't, that kind of individualism wasn't what God ever wanted for people. He didn't just rescue, for instance, with Israel, he didn't just rescue all of Jacob's descendants from Egypt just to let them go individually to live out the rest of their lives. No, he wanted them to live in community with one another. And so he gave them the law to teach them how, okay? So I want you to understand that, that God's purpose for Israel was to live as a community. Now here, that leads me to my second point about this. Here's the second point. God's plan was about more than just Israel. Here it is. God's plan throughout history has always been, even before Israel, it's always been to create a community of people who live together in perfect unity, before Israel and after Israel. This has always been God's plan, to create a community of people who live together in perfect unity. So let me give you the whole Bible here in a nutshell, okay? Here it is in a nutshell. God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The idea was for them to live in a perfect relationship with each other, with God at the center of their relationship. And presumably, Adam and Eve would have children who would have children and on and on, and they would be in relationship with God as well. So they could become this large and extended family who would ultimately populate the earth and all live together in perfect harmony. Now, that was the plan from the beginning. But when things went south and Adam and Eve sinned, everything began to disintegrate because... If God isn't the center of your life, guess who is the center of your life? You are. You are. And if you're the center of your life, guess what happens? You become all about you and your rights and other people be damned. You become individualistic. And as a result, community becomes impossible. Therefore, that's why we have wars and racism and classism and chauvinism and terrorism and divorce and, and murder. Does any of that sound familiar? Okay. That's, that's what David Brooks was observing in the article that I talked about earlier. So the plan ended. Adam and Eve, perfect community, the plan ended. Or so, would you, so you would think. But God didn't give up. He wasn't content to let humanity remain in our individualistic ruins. And so throughout history, God intervenes into human relationships at various important junctures. And you'll notice that each time he intervenes, he does so in a more significant, maybe even more radical way. 
So for instance, let me, let, me give it, let me give it to you this way. He comes to a guy by the name of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And he says, I want to make your family, Abraham and Sarah, I want to make your family into a great people. Only problem is they don't have any family. They don't have any kids. She's 90 years old. Even Sarah gets out a kick out of this idea. Imagine your grandma or your great-grandma having a baby. Yeah, good luck, uh, Sarah says. That's not going to happen. But God intervenes. And guess what? Sarah has a baby. See, Adam and Eve, they sin. God says, I'm going to recreate the plan. He goes to Abraham and Sarah. You guys are going to have a baby. Okay? A couple of centuries later, their descendants are so numerous that God says to Moses, Now I want to turn that family into a nation. And as I said earlier, the problem was that they were enslaved to Egypt. So God intervenes in a greater way even than he did with Abraham and Sarah. And he liberates them from slavery through the plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea. And then after liberating them, as we said a moment ago, God gives them the law which teaches them not only how to worship him, but how to live together as a nation of people in justice and peace and love. But that's not the end. Much later, God intervenes in an even more radical way. He intervenes by coming to earth in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ. And then he dies and is raised again. And out of this, he creates the church, a community of people made of Jews, people from Israel, and Gentiles from every other nation in the world. And if you were to read ahead in Isaiah, he even speaks about a day even further off in the future when God will intervene one last time and he will create a new heavens and a new earth and then every relationship on earth will be healed Man and God, man and man, man and nature will all live together in perfect harmony. But what I want you to see is that God's plan has never been about individuals. It's always been about community, about diverse people living together in relationships and experiencing unity even in the midst of their diversity. Now, what all of this means is that when God calls you into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, he's not calling you into an individualistic life. He's not. He's calling you into an anti-American way of life. He's calling you into community. Now, why? Why would he do that? Why would, he, why would his concern be uh, to build community instead of just individuals? Well, perhaps that's how his greatness is best seen. Think about it for just a moment. If everyone thinks that they're the center of the universe, for God to be able to create a people who live together in peace and unity, that would be a miracle that the world would have to take notice of, right? Like if everybody thinks they're the center of the universe, but God gets a group of people to live together in unity, that's like... a an incredible miracle. I always see this, this car here in town. I think it's a Volkswagen Bug. Maybe you've seen this. It's got decals plastered all over it. Like, I mean, like all over it. And the one that always stands out to me is the one that says something about uh, world peace. And I always laugh when I see it because almost all of the other decals on the car are offensive to somebody. 
Like they might not be offensive to me, but they'd be offensive to you. Or some that might not be offensive to you are offensive to me. So she's like, world peace. But there's not going to be peace even in her family. Even on her car, there's not even peace. We can't pull peace off. But if God could put a group of people together who would live in peace with each other and with others outside, that would be a miracle that the world would have to take notice of. Wouldn't it? That would be like, how do they do that? And then people would have to see that the God that they worship is the one that makes that possible. Now, I want to show you one more uh, uh, one more thing from this particular passage. I don't have time to show you everything in this passage, but I just want to pull this one thing out for you to see. Here's something about this community that God has always purposed to create, okay? That from the very beginning, this was his plan. I want you to see that God wanted his people, God's people are to relate to race and power differently than the way that the rest of the world does. God's people are to relate to race and power differently than the world, uh, than the rest of the world does. Now, let me ask you something. Can you think of anything more controversial today than racism and classism and the abuse of power? That's like right off of the headlines of the papers uh, in our world. Would you agree? Uh, let me try that again. Would you agree? Yes. Okay, good. I want you to notice verse 3. Again, I don't have time to go into everything, but just let me point this out. Verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. What Isaiah is doing, remember that a prophet um, not only speaks for God, but also because God gives them the ability, they can see things into the, into the future. So in other words, they're proclaiming uh, what is going to happen in the future. So Isaiah is looking into the future, and he's saying, there is going to come a time. And he's, he's looking at us. He's looking at us this time, this time. He says, there's going to come a time where the people of God, the local church, they're going to bring down all racial barriers because all nations can become a part of that community. So it's like not just Israel. Like all people from every nation, Jews and Gentiles, uh, Arabs and Americans, uh, Kenyans and Kazakhs, and not just people from different nations, but people uh, that are different here in America that have a hard time getting together, men and women sometimes, cops and blacks. I mean, all kinds of people. They're going to be able to, to come together in this thing called the local church. Isaiah is seeing this in the future. And sure enough, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, the last thing that he says to his disciples is to go and make disciples of all nations. And here's what's interesting. When they go out, the first person who comes to believe in Christ is, guess what? Guess what? He's a foreigner. Actually, he's a eunuch and a foreigner. And then when Paul launches the church in Philippi, he goes first to Lydia, a businesswoman, a, a professional kind of woman. And then after that, he, slaves, he saves this slave girl who is demon-possessed. And then he brings to faith a Gentile, the Philippian jailer. 
There was a prayer that goes way back and was said by Jewish men every morning, even during the time of Jesus, and it went like this. O Lord, I thank thee that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And yet, those are the very first kinds of converts that God used. So you see, here in this passage, this is God saying to us, to the local church, through the prophet Isaiah, that the new community, the church, must be committed to power sharing and relationship building between groups of people and classes and uh, classes of people and races in a way that the rest of the world can't accomplish. Now, now listen to me. Let me ask you something. Where do you see that anywhere else in the world? Like you don't see that kind of community anywhere else in the world. If God can pull this off, he's pulled off a miracle. This is why in the New Testament epistles, so many of them speak about living in unity with each other. Because the name of God, the very glory of God is at stake. It wasn't easy for a Jew and a Gentile to worship together. Uh, It's often not easy for an Arab and American to worship together. But if God can pull together a people who can do that, the world will see just how magnificent and powerful and awesome he is. Do you see that, that this is all about community? It's what this passage is is about. It's all about community. It's not about individualism. It's not about how you as an individual can grow spiritually. It's all about community. It's about how God has purposed from the very beginning of creation to bring together a community of people who can live together in perfect unity because they have God as the center of their lives and of their community. Now, if you've been listening over the course of the last few months, you've probably noticed that I've been challenging you to increase your attendance here at City Church. In fact, uh, last week as part of my talk about discipleship, I challenged you as a disciple of Jesus Christ to rearrange your life so that you could attend church on Sundays at least three times a month. Uh, You know, the average is like 1.8 times a month. I said, at least three. That still gives you 16 weeks a year that you wouldn't go to church. At least three times a month, I said. And and why? It's for the very reason that we've been talking about this morning. I want to move you out of your destructive individualism, and I want to move you into community. I hear from people all the time. uh, They'll say to me, well... You know what? I missed church, but uh, I got the podcast uh, later on. Look, I want you to understand, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that we have a lot of people who listen to our podcast. There are even people who sit in other churches in Evansville uh, who don't feel challenged by their church, uh, and they listen to our podcasts. And yet they give nothing financially to City Church, but that's a whole other story we'll talk about another day. But God's plan has never been about you listening to sermons in the isolation of your own car. That's never been his plan. He's been about building a community of people. He wants to get you out of your isolation and self-centeredness. And so when you come here to church, 
When you come here, it's more than just listening to a sermon. You're reminded when you come here that, first of all, there is a Savior who's the center of the universe, not you. That's an important thing. But besides that, you look around and you see that there are other people who are like you, and some who are entirely unlike you, who worship that same Savior. That's always been the point. It's never been about you listening to sermons in isolation. It's always been about you, us coming together as a body of people, as a community of people, who all worship the same Savior, even though many of us are very, very different people. That's the miracle. If God could pull that off, the world has to take notice. That's what church has always been about. If you come to church just to be inspired and then you go home without putting yourself deeply into this community, this new community of people here in the local church, you are frustrating, even perverting God's plan as if his plan were just about you instead of a community. If you're doing that, you will not experience the radical life change that God wants to bring about in your life. He always does that in the context of community. Understand, holiness doesn't happen in isolation. Holiness happens in community. Holiness is about loving God and learning to love people, many of whom are very different than you. You need other people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by his grace if you're going to be changed in any meaningful way. If all you're doing is just showing up here and going home, you're not being part of the community that God has been working through all of history to create. All you're doing is being part of a crowd. That's it. Never been about you as an individual always been about a community. So here's where we're going in 2017. Here are three emphases that you're going to see at uh, City Church. And I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, we we don't have all of the plans nailed down about how this is going to happen just yet. We're working on that. But we're going to be emphasizing these three things. These are the things that we're going to be working on behind the scenes. These are the things that we're going to be talking to you about. These are the things that we're going to be challenging you to as a church. Here's the first one. A commitment to being and building disciples. I talked about that last week. A commitment to being and building disciples. I said last week, we've got a lot of strengths here, a lot of great things going for us. But one thing that I think is missing at City Church, and one thing that I think is missing actually in many churches, is a commitment to being disciples and to building disciples. We're going to make a commitment to that. We're going to work at structuring our church so that being and making disciples of Christ is the way that we accomplish the last uh, uh, phrase of our vision statement. We say here that we want to do what we, we want to accomplish our vision through a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about individuals. We're talking about a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want you to be transformed. The way that you do that is by becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just a Christian. You remember what I said last week? The word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times. God is concerned about you becoming a disciple of the smartest, most brilliant person in all of human history, the Lord Jesus Christ, who always has the best information about how to live. Now, you could follow Oprah. 
Uh, you can follow your favorite actor. You can follow Kanye. You can follow uh, some, any, you know, some great philosopher. Or you could follow the smartest person in the history of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. You make your decision. I'm going to follow Jesus, and we're going to challenge you to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ here at City Church. That's our first emphasis next year. Being and building disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our second one. We're going to make a commitment to community building within City Church. To community building within City Church. In other words, we're going to put considerable time and effort into moving you into community with other people at City Church. You know, I know a church, I know, I know a church that has 80% of the people that go to their church involved in life groups or in discipleship groups or in some form of community. We're not even close to that. I'd love to see that happen here. We're going to work on this very, very hard this next year. Now, look, if you want to come to City Church and then just go home, you know what? You're welcome to do that. But if you want to be involved in City Church, if you want to grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to challenge you to get involved in a city life group, uh, perhaps in a discipleship group that we will have in the future. We're going to challenge you to get involved in one way, shape, or form. Because that's what God has always been about, building community. We're also going to do this, by the way. Uh, we're going to work very hard on this, also at the level of our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, and also our college-aged students. Okay? We're going to look at doing the same thing with them. But look, community without some kind of mission is, someone once said, it's cancer. Community without mission is cancer. This past year, I I regret that we got sidetracked as a church by just getting into this building, by moving in, figuring out, you know, how to do church within this building, what's here, what's not here, what do we need, those kinds of things. We got sidetracked by all that. I, I really don't mean that we were wrong in doing so. I think we had to give attention and time to that. But in doing that, we got away from some of the things that we really need to focus on as a church. Going forward this next year, we're going to make a commitment to be a church for the city of Evansville. That's the first half of our vision statement. That's what we've always purposed to do. Those of you who've been with us from the very beginning know that that was our thing, that we want to be a church for the city of Evansville. We want to do that. That's what we're saying, that we want to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond. We're going to get back to that. Isaiah speaks in this passage of social justice. All over the Bible, God speaks about his love for and his unique concern for the poor and the marginalized in the world. We're going to demonstrate that love as a community to the city of Evansville. Those are going to be our three emphases this year. Commitment to make and build disciples, a commitment to build community within a city church, and then a commitment to being a church for the city of Evansville and actually beyond. I hope that if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I hope you'll hear this. I've repeated it a number of times. I'm going to say it again. God's plan has never been about just you living an individualistic lifestyle. 
It has always been about building a community, an interconnected community of redeemed people who relate to one another and to the world in a way that brings God glory, in a way that nothing else really can. A community of people who were once so me-centered have become Christ-centered and other-centered. And because of that, they can live together with all of their differences and all of the things that make them distinctive. They can still live together in unity around Christ. Just let me close with this. Because I always want Christ to be glorified at this church. The basis for this community that we've been talking about is the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go into the context, but I just want you to notice the last part of verse 5. God says, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. There's a great deal of irony here uh, that, as I say, I don't have time to go into, but the phrase, to be cut off, I want you to understand what that phrase was about. That's the curse of sin, to be cut off. The curse of sin is to be cut off from people and to be cut off from God. That's, that's the curse. It's very simple. Sin is self-centeredness, and self-centeredness always isolates you. What is the most cruel form of punishment that a prisoner will ever experience? What is it? Solitary confinement. That's right, because it makes you go insane. That's what isolation always does to people. We need human community. We cannot bear the curse of sin. We can't bear the natural punishment that comes from our self-centeredness. And here's the good news. We don't have to. Isaiah 53. Isaiah says this. He says, by oppression and judgment, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. This is Isaiah's very well-known prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, it doesn't say that Jesus was cut into. It says he was cut off. Because on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand this. Jesus was cut off from the relationship with his Father and with the Holy Spirit, the community that he had known and existed in from the very beginning of time. And he experiences on the cross an isolation at a level that none of us have ever experienced. And he experienced this so that you would never have to be cut off like that. He was cut off so that you would never be cut off from God and you would never have to be cut off from the people of God. Do you understand what all of that means? Do you understand? Christ died for you so that you could be a part of God's new reconstituted humanity, the local church. You can't keep being an individual and being a disciple of Jesus Christ at the same time. You must immerse yourself into this collective called the local church or you are distorting and perverting the very idea for which you were saved. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, um, this runs um, very counter to the way that we have been taught to live here in America. We have been taught 
to be individuals. We've been taught to pave our own way. We've been taught to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We've been taught to walk with a swagger. We've been taught, taught not to need anybody. We've been taught to be our own people. We've been taught to demand our rights. We've been taught to talk about our bodies and what we can do with them and what we should be able to do with them and nobody should be able to tell us what to do with it. We've been taught all of that kind of stuff. And so this idea of community is, uh, it's countercultural. But Lord, we recognize this morning that that's what you've been about from the very beginning of time and it is what you will be about until the end of time about building a community. What a privilege it is to be a part of this community, the local church. Lord, as we as a church focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we make him number one in our lives, that we make him the most important person in our lives, and that we recognize that we aren't the center of the universe that he is, as we do that, we can begin to experience a unity that no place else in the world, no other organization in the world, no other people in the world can experience. But Lord, I pray that you would make this very clear to us this morning. That that only happens by immersing ourselves into this community. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in that way. Lord, as we move into 2017 next year, pray that you would enable us to to be and build disciples. Pray that you would enable us to build community within this church. And then, Lord, I pray that you would allow us and that you would enable us to be able to go out into the community and express this unity, this love that you have given us. Express that for this city that we live in. We thank you for that great privilege. We're convicted this morning by what you say. I'm convicted by this. Lord, I pray that you would bring about great change in us as a result. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.